Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 337, How to Transfer Your Architecture Firm Ownership to Your Employees. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more, all for free. Gusto, easy online payroll benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. And Monograph, the time tracking and project management tool built for architects by architects. Justin Goodbread, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Mark, thanks for having me, brother. It's great to have you here. Justin Goodbread is the owner of FinanciallySimple.com, a nationally recognized financial planner, financial educator, wealth manager, author, speaker, and an entrepreneur. He has 20 plus years of experience starting, buying, owning, and selling businesses. Recently, Justin published his first book, The Ultimate Sale. In it, he shows uh, business owners how to create long-term value and accelerate growth in their company with the ultimate goal of selling the business for top dollar when the owner wants to retire. And I think that a bunch of ears just perked up (laughs) because I know that there are a lot of architects out there who have those questions because architects are notorious for uh, starting their business, just chugging along through life, building their business, never really thinking about how 
it all ends, right? It, it, it Someday it's all going to end. However that ends, you may want to retire. Uh, you may pass away. Whatever that ultimate end is, your company will end. And so uh, planning that end is a, an important strategy that we should be taking care of here. And Justin is an expert in exit strategies for small businesses. Um, and so I invited him on the show here to uh, to share his knowledge with the Entree Architect podcast. Justin Goodbread, thank you for uh, joining me here today. Mark, man, I'm excited. I love the fact that you just laid out the very premise that I always talk about, and that is that we will leave our business, whether it's through a death, a divorce, a disagreement, somehow or another, whether it's a retirement or sale, whatever, we're going to leave our business. That We may never retire. We may like work till we're dead as business owners. I mean, that's the way I think many times, but dude, we are going to leave our business. So it's something that we need to think about sincerely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Before we get into that conversation, I want to know more about you. I want to dive a little bit into your backstory uh, share your origin story. What inspired you to follow the passion that you're on today? Because you're clearly a passionate guy about what you're doing. Um, instantly connected when we signed on here. Um, clearly passionate about about financial management, financial uh, strategies. Share your origin story. How did you get to where you started here? Yeah, so I grew up in South Georgia. I'm on the coast there in South Georgia. And um, I was homeschooled most of my life. Um, and my mom and dad they had this desire to teach us business. So at age 15, long story short, my dad convinced me to start a landscape business. He basically said, son, if you don't have a job by Friday, don't come home. And <laughs> I was like, yes, sir, pops. And we got him pops. Yes, pops, whatever you say, pops. And so long story short, started a grass cutting business. And by the time my brother and I, who was about four years younger than me, by the time I reached 18, we were making more money than my mom, who has a master's level in nursing, and my dad, who worked for the Georgia Port Authority. And here we are, two snotty-nosed kids, as they used to call us, running around making a ton of money. So I went to see this financial guy, right? At some big popular name company. And he's like, he sits back in his all knowing chair, pulled his glasses down his nose and kind of looked, looked down on me saying, well, son, when you get more money, come back and see me. I'm like, you know, forget you. I'm making more money probably than you are at this point. So at that point I, I hated wall street. So I dove into this world of business, right? Now here I am somewhat dealing with wall street some years later, but long story short, I've started and sold three businesses for a profit. I love business. I eat, sleep, drink business. There's not a book right now at Barnes and Noble or or Amazon in business that I haven't read. I read a book a week and have since I was 16. Dude, I love business. Most of all, though, I love watching business owners not become a statistic. I love that. I love if I can pour my passion and my drive and our company and the resource that we have behind us and making business owners not become a statistic, that's what I'm after. And so the statistics that scares me is 80%. So once somebody once asked me, Mark, they said, hey, Justin, what's your biggest fear in life? And I said, the graveyard. He said, what do you mean, scared of dying? I'm like, no, I'm scared that whenever I reach my death that I didn't leave it all on the field, you know, like old good basketball player, soccer player, whatever, that didn't leave it all on the field. You know, 80% of businesses never sell. 80% of businesses never sell. And only 4% of businesses actually sell for what we, the business owners, think they're worth. So if you look at those two numbers, realizing that the architectural world is not that dissimilar from the dental world or the any other professional service industry, myself included, we have perhaps 80% of our net worth tied up in our business, an asset that is more than likely 80% of it's not going to, uh, we have a statistic, we're not going to sell it. So here we are pouring blood, sweat, and tears mark into our business, and there's got to be a better way, man. So years ago, I started out this project, Financially Simple, to try to educate and give away 99.99% of the knowledge that I've gleaned from starting and selling businesses and now from helping hundreds of service industries across our country. And it's a, it's a passion that I see trying to change the paradigm, trying to help our business owners not be a statistic. So that's a little bit about me, my passion. You're right. I love it. 
I eat, I eat, sleep, and drink this thing, brother. So it's, it's. Let's try to help some folks. Yeah, hundred, hundred percent. I, you know, this is this is a, a topic that we absolutely need to talk about in the architecture world. I am sure that architects are much higher than eighty percent in terms of not selling their business. Most don't. Um, most don't even have an exit strategy. Most just close the door and walk away. Uh, many of them transition to employees. You know, and the and the firm continues on. Uh, very few sell or merge with other companies. Um, and so this is an important strategy or, or an important conversation. This might be the beginning of the of the rest of the life of everybody who's listening here. So where do we start? If, you're, if we are a small firm, we just started our small firm or we've been practicing for 20 years and we don't have a strategy for how it all ends, what's the beginning? Where do we start? Yeah. So, you know, you're right. Architects are probably a little bit more dismal in the statistics. I didn't look specifically for architects in that number. And I, I would have to agree with you, Mark. It's probably a little bit more dismal than 80 percent. But you start the same place that I start with the entrepreneur, doctor, any of us in white collar profession. We all start the same place. We got to identify where we're at today. OK, so we always start our clients and we have several architectural firms that we've done this with. We start them of just a basic, very boring, plain Jane financial plan. Now, I'm not talking about selling Wall Street crap. I'm talking about where are we at today financially and how do we get here? Do we have real estate? Do we have business? Do we have a little bit of 401k? Whatever the number is, you know, how much debt, how much assets do we have today? Once we know where we're at. Then we got to figure out where we're going. So I liken this to a road trip here from East Tennessee, Knoxville, out to Portland, Oregon, oftentimes. And I say, if I'm headed to Portland, I realize I could probably swim, take a boat, take a plane, take a train, drive a car, ride a bike. I can get there a number of different ways. But I ultimately know where I'm going. So by knowing where I'm starting and where I'm going, then I can devise the best strategy to help me reach there. Very similar to how you guys approach your business. Very similar. You have to know what that client has is their envision in mind. You also have to know where they're starting from. So it's not that dissimilar. So we always start with a position of where are you going and where are you at? And then once we know that, then what we analyze is what's called the gap or the value gap. It's a mathematical number that we can demise, uh, surmise from the strategy saying, you know, Mark, in your particular case, we got to figure out how to get an extra $600,000 over the next six years. Or we got to come up with $2 million. You may be a young architect over the next 20 years. Once we know what our gap is, then we can figure out the strategy, how we're going to drive from Knoxville to Portland. Are we going to, we can work on all the details. Are we going to take our time? Are we going to go through Canada? Are we going to go around through Texas? How are we going to go logistically from point A to point B? So once you know where you're at and where you're going, then it's a matter of filling in the various routes or the various paths to get us where we want to be. How do we know where we're going? If, if, if you, I, I, knowing where you are is pretty straightforward, right? You, you do your financial management, you look at your books, you look at what you have and what you don't have, what you're missing. Um, and then you look into the future and say, okay, I want to, you know, uh, retire when I'm 75 and, uh, and I want to sell my business. Um, yeah. So here's the way I would help you analyze on where you're going, because that's not an uncommon question. You know, most of us, like you said, can realize exactly where we're at. And we know all the problems that we face to get to where we're at. Right. We know all the pitfalls. Right. What we don't know is the pitfalls in front of us. We don't know the cautionary uh, things in our journey from where we're at to where we're going to be. So I ask typically a couple of questions. These are pretty hard hitting. So I apologize in advance. But here's some things to make you think. So, Mark, if you had, I'm going to use you as an example yep. for our dialogue here, and this sure. is applicable to anybody, okay? By no means am I picking on your brother. But, Mark, if you had unlimited resources today, unlimited resources, what would your life look like today? And then as you start analyzing that question, you're now starting to figure out what's the top values for you. Now, statistically, it's going to be your family, your friends, your faith. 
that's statistically where it's going to come into play. But you may have some other things that, you know what, if I had unlimited resources, I have two or three employees in the company that I really want to see them take this thing over. Or, you know what, I'm done. I don't want to be, I don't want to be an architect anymore. I'm over this thing. So that's one question we have. Another question we may say is, hey, Mark, you know, I hate to tell you news, brother, but you just got diagnosed with a terminal illness that you're going to pass away sometime in the next 10 years. We don't know the date, date of death, but we know it's going to be in the next 10 years. Guaranteed. What would you change? And so now we put a little bit of time, a length on our question to say not just unlimited resources, but now we put a time length. And now ultimately, Mark, what happens is that we start internalizing what really matters to us. And it may be, hey, look, Justin, look, I'm 50 years old. I'm 60 years old. I'm 40 years old. Whatever the age is, my wife and I, my family and I, myself, et cetera, we want to we want to travel the world, man. Or, hey, I heard somebody just yesterday, buddy, I want to buy a small piece of land in the middle of the mountains where no one can see me, have a little horse, have a little tractor, and just go play. And if I could do that tomorrow, I would make it happen. And that's the dream. So once you can envision, I want to go to Portland, Oregon, and I want to see this, and I want to see that, and I want to spend this much time here, and you can start putting the picture to where your mind and your desires are, now you can identify where you're going. Do you write that down? When you start Absolutely. thinking about what you want, do you write a narrative for that? Absolutely. So the way we actually have our clients do this is we send husband and wife or our spouses or partners into separate rooms and we say, write down your top 10 ambitions in life. So whenever I, my wife and I did this, which we do on a regular basis as clients of our firm ourselves, um, I, one of my very top things I want to see, man, is I want to see the Northern Lights. I want to go up into the Arctic and just sit there on these igloos and watch the Northern Lights. My wife wants to go to Bora Bora and stay in one of those huts <laughs> over the over the uh, ocean, right? So totally different. So we have this dream one day that we're going to go from the Bora, we're going to go from the Northern Lights down to Bora Bora on like this three week trip. Well, that's a top one and a top one for us, right? So now if we know that, we can start saying, here is where we're going. There's, a, there's several studies, many people read this, that if we actually can verbalize, put a picture around, put a text around what we're actually trying to achieve, we come out with a greater, I think it's 86% according to the Harvard study success rate of actually achieving that through written and verbal or pictorial type of a format. So yeah, absolutely, we write that down and then we hold people accountable to it. Right, see? right. And we go through a very similar process in, in business planning. We do that same uh, process. We call it a vision narrative. And we ask our, our uh, members to write a vision narrative, write that story of what their life would look like if they had unlimited funds and unlimited barriers. Um, and then you build a business, you know, you plan your business to grow to that point. What we're doing is we're using that same strategy uh, in, in our conversation to look at the end of that business. So it's right. it's still a business plan, but it's it's an it's an exit plan. It's an exit strategy. How do you achieve where you want to achieve at the ultimate level and then what do you do with it once you achieve that? So what so once we write that narrative and we write that story, uh, what's the next step? What do we do next? Yeah, now it's a matter of figuring out that gap. So let's say in your narrative that we just described that there's we got to come up with $500,000. Okay. Well, that that's a that's a different direction, a different set of events that we have to move about than someone who says, hey, "I need to come up with a million and a half dollars." Okay. So let's say it, let's say it's something ultra simple. We may not have to do anything in the business itself. We may be able to just take cash flow and meet that need just through traditional planning. Oftentimes, though, for us small business owners, um, I don't know if you're familiar, Mark, with this term or the old statement, the cobbler's kid's shoes are never shod. Uh, oh, sure. In other words, you know, we deal with our own problems and our we take care of everybody else before we take care of ourselves. So many times we business owners, we've been so good at caring for our team 
and caring for the customers who we all have the honor and privilege of serving that we don't take care of ourselves. So oftentimes we have to go and do things radical in the business in order to make that business more successful, more profitable, more sellable. And so once, if, if that ends up being the case where it has to be a sellable business, then what we have to do is now figure out the matrix it's going to take in order to drive the value of the company up. So the way we look at it is there's 256 points in a valuation of a business. So if I were going to value your company today, I can analyze it from 256 points. Much similar to trying to backwards engineer a, an architectural drawing, um, I'll backwards engineer the value of the company to say, hey, look, I'm going to ultra simplify something here. But let's say, hey, Mark, you know what? You've been a solo architect for years now. Let's bring on a junior associate. In order to do that, we've got to bring on some more revenue for throughput. In order to bring on more revenue, we have to have some systems. In order to have systems, we have to have the money. In order to have the money, we have to spend some money. So now we got to start off with a marketing plan. What does that look like? And how do we attract the right client? How do we identify the person, the, the, the target persona of your business? So whenever we analyze these 256 points, brother, then we can, then we can say, what do we have to do in the structure of the business, the operations of the business? What do we have to do in the personal finance? What do we have to do in the tax strategy? What do we have to do in the employee, the marketing, the sales, the people, legal, all these different strategies to put together a plan to help you reach your goals. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Unless you're working for one of the top architecture firms in the world, you know what it's like to work with limited resources. But there's one resource that you can access no matter what size your architecture firm, Arcat.com. RCAT is the online solution for your building product information needs. They offer BIM objects, CAD details, specifications, and much, much more from leading manufacturers from all over the world. Research building products and get the information you need all in the same place, fast and easy. And best of all, it's free. RCAT doesn't charge you anything for these resources. You don't even need to register or give them your email. And when I say it's free, there's no catch. Visit rcat.com and try it out. Search for the resources that you need and rcat will deliver. That's rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T.com. rcat.com. Build better. Taking care of your employees has never been more important than now. For years, Gusto has been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees, and more. They call it the people platform. And it doesn't just look nice, and it does look nice. It also works. Your payroll taxes are filed, deductions are calculated, and your team gets paid. You can even offer health insurance and 401ks as you grow. As a listener of the Entree Architect podcast, you will get three months free after your first payroll when you go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash gusto. Gusto, and make sure that you let them know that you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Gusto, the people platform. Visit entrearchitect.com slash gusto today. Are you tired of spreadsheets? Of using spreadsheets to keep track of your project plans, your budgets, your staff, your time? Spreadsheets. Our friends at Monograph know what that's like because they're architects too. They know all about that spreadsheet mess that you're dealing with. So they did something about it. Monograph is a time tracking and project management tool. 
built for architects by architects to respond to the challenges that small and medium-sized firms face on their quest to a profitable business. With Monocraft's integrated suites of tools, you'll stay on track and on budget without the overhead of wrangling spreadsheets every day. Improve your firm's operations today. Try Monograph for free at entrearchitect.com slash monograph. Ditch the spreadsheets. Visit entrearchitect.com slash monograph and try Monograph today for free. Arcat, Gusto, and Monograph. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So once you have that ultimate goal and you have your strategy in place uh, in terms of uh, filling that gap, you know, understanding what that gap is and then putting together a plan to fill the gap, um, which would ultimately allow you to achieve that plan. Um, what is there anything between those two pieces? Well, what you just described takes about 12 months to 18 months to walk through that. Mm -hmm. um, so if we start through the personal side of planning, it takes typically three to six months to make the, I, I grew up on the ocean. I always say that we have holes in our boats. All of us do. Our personal finances is not what's going to get us to our destination. It's going to be our business ultimately. Okay. I don't think Wall Street has the answer for us business owners. We, the business owner is going to be driving our own future. So, but we have to make our personal finances secure. So we're plugging all the holes in the boat first. Once we get the boat on top of the water and that's able to cruise, right? Now we're dealing with the business. So once we identify the, the weakest areas in your business, now we have to decide on out of those 256 points, how are we going to stack the blocks that's not going to stress you, the owner or the team or the customers or the pocketbook in such a way that you give up, right? Because I can come up with a great plan and you end up giving up on it because it's too cumbersome and too complicated. So once we stack the blocks in a metric that you psychologically can deal with, you emotionally, physically, financially, everything can deal with, then it's a matter of going through the blocks and creating buy-in amongst your mind, your family and your team and your consultants that's going to hold you accountable over that length of time. Where it gets interesting is this, and I'm sure everybody, when I say this, we're all going to say, oh yeah, that's right. We've all had that tough customer, that tough client who likes to change things on us on a regular basis. And we end up having to go back to the drawing board, literally in yeah. your case. Um, same thing happens in, in business because I would dare say there's not a person who's listening to this podcast, whenever this airs, that could have predicted in December of 2019 that we we're going to be dealing with what we're dealing with today in the United States around the world. No one could have done that. Right. So the plans that we set forth in December, we had now to strongly modify that for our business owners to keep them slowly moving to their destination during this crisis, pandemic opportunity is what I call it for us business owners. So once we set the destination out, then we've got to monitor it, man, and make sure that if there's a roadblock on our path from Knoxville to Portland, if there's travel change, that we are still moving through all the waves, through all the turbulence, through all the economic issues, through our personal issues that we all deal with to that destination. So it's really not a one, two, three, thank you, sir, let's go on. It, it comes back to a full process with one thing in mind. How are we going to get you to your goal? How are we going to get you to your destination? And every single piece of advice has to advance that cause. And there may be many different ways of achieving that ultimate goal, right? I mean, when you, when you identify how much your firm is worth and how much you can get for it at the end, um, what you do with that value could, could uh, result in many different choices, right? You can sell it. You could transfer it to employees. You can 
close the door or you can merge with another company. Can you go through each one of those uh, possible strategies? Sure. So I'll, I'll kind of take those four and we could go on for hours on all these strategies, guys. But yeah, so how are we going to get rid of the business ultimately, right? right. And we kind of really need to know who our buyer is going to be. And so we first of all look at, do we, are we going to go out to competition and sell it to sell our business to a competitor? That's a whole different strategy than let's say I want to move it to an employee owned position, right? right? And that's a totally different strategy than I'm going to sell it to some venture capitalist firm or some angel investing firm that wants to uh, suck us into an inventory portfolio, right? So we ultimately need to know in our destination, what are we trying to achieve? So I can talk about my life a little bit because I'm be a little more open. I have a financial planning firm. I have a firm that's a business advisory firm. I have four firm, four businesses all circled together in one. We have a team that's nationally based. I realize that I could go out to a competitor and sell my company and get a lot of money. I know that, okay? But that's not who I am. I want to take my team that has helped us get to here and who's going to take us to the next destination. And I want them to have this moment in their life. Whenever this thing moves through this world of transition, that they have this take this job and shove it moment, that they have this check of some sort that they said, holy cow, look at what we did. That's my heart. So now I know that in that particular case, I can sell an ESOP in place. And we kind of talk through that. I can go to a treasury stock position. I can go through phantom stock positions. I can go through hard equity positions. I can do a number of things in order to make that one particular play. On the other hand, let's say I'm going to grow. I'll say I'm, I'm all by myself and I don't have any employees other than maybe some 1099 subcontractors, but yet I do want to have this asset that I can sell. Well, maybe I now restructure my business to where it's a royalty type of a business, where I'm taking my knowledge, almost like Frank Betts did back in the day in your world, and he put it out there on the internet and made his royalty style of business. So there's a lot of different ways to transact and transfer our business from one location to whichever paradigm you choose to go into. Um, I think that you had said that, Justin, we have a lot of people interested in these employee-owned businesses, which is common in the architectural space, by the way, because it's such a close-knit family. Am, am I correct in that, Mark? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I was going to bring it back to that because I think that there are a lot of people listening who who uh, listen to the scenario that you just created that you do want to uh, transition to the employees and, and benefit. You want to benefit uh, to the maximum that you can but you also want to transfer that value to people that you care about because you've they've helped you build it. You care about them as people and you want the firm to continue on beyond you. And you have some people that you trust who can do that. So how do you do that? You know, one of the most popular statements or concepts that I hear in the architectural world is the ESOP plan. Um, and let's tell, let's deal with that a little bit and then let's get into some more realistic strategies that work in an architectural okay, world. So I, I can tell you that the ESOP plan, if you go to financiallysimple.com and just search ESOP, I have one of the top ESOP attorneys that I actually interviewed by the name of Ben Wells out of Maryland, uh, up in Maryland, who's one of the top in the country. He's a dear friend of mine who structures ESOPs. And he and I did about an hour long conversation on the ins and outs, the details of an ESOP. And you can check that on financiallysimple.com. But here's the deal with the ESOP. The overwhelming majority of small businesses are not, I repeat, are not good candidates for ESOP. So here's some rule of thumbs. These are generic rule of thumbs. These yeah. are not always the case. You typically need to have more than about 15 employees. That's the first rule of thumb. So that's going to cancel out a lot of our small or solopreneurs or multi, maybe a family office style architectural firms. You also have to have enough equity, enough hard assets that it's going to be able to float 
the debt liability on the ESOP. And oftentimes, small businesses just don't have that. Right. You typically get up into a multi-leveraged or multi-owner type facility before you deal with an ESOP. Now, if you have greater than 15 or so employees and you have enough structural capital or enough capital set back to deal with this, then you got to get into the debt structuring with the bank. Is there enough dollars in order to make it work? Do you want to have $10 million? How's your valuation going to work? It, it gets extremely complicated for the average business. Okay. Uh, I've been in the business world now for over 25 years and I've only dealt with one ESOP out of thousands of businesses. And the reason why is they're so, so daggum complicated. All right. Yeah. Um, even in my own business, we have over, we have almost 15, 15 or so employees and we're multi-state. We have multiple owners at this point that are coming on board and I, I couldn't pull an ESOP together right now, not with the structure of our company. So what do I do? Right. What are some other strategies? So, you know, a really good strategy is that of a key employee that you can do a, a leverage sell or a leverage uh, buyout. So we have an we have an architectural firm here in East Tennessee. There were two partners. They wanted to merge in with another two partners. The two and I got to be careful for confidentiality reasons, but they were they were a little older and they were a little younger. And the two sets there, and they had these two separate businesses. We structured a ten year buyout. And we put together all the parameters so that the clients all came into one new organized company and that they are now harmoniously moving through this strategy, even through this trouble and times that we're dealing with. And the selling individuals are now have confidence that their long-term friends, their long-term customers, their long-term vendors are taken care of. And the younger individuals are excited because they are able to, so to speak, according to them, ride on the coattails of the of the more seasoned architecture. That's a, that's a leverage buyout. That's not uncommon. Um, there's another firm in East Tennessee. It's a really prominent firm that you had one major shareholder in the company. He brought in um, a couple of other architects over a period of 15, 20 years. He had this major, major asset that now he put treasury stock in place, which is something I'm looking at in my own company to where I'm going to have my sh everybody rank and file from, from the HCs, highly compensated employees, those who actually own hard equity in the company, down to the, to the, the, the person perhaps cleaning the toilet. I'm not trying to be derogatory. I'm trying to see everybody in the right. company can actually have some heart, some equity in the company. And you do that through a number of legal documents, do that through some valuation. What happens, though, ultimately, is if you're trying to shift your business, and this is where the paradigm, I don't want to get lost in the details over what we're trying to accomplish. What we're trying to accomplish is this, friends. We business owners are often at the epicenter of our business. Everything revolves around us. In order for you to get maximum value, you have to remove yourself from the epicenter. You have to remove yourself outside and become irrelevant, which is hard for many of us, become irrelevant. So what you have to do is slowly bring in those colleagues or those friends or systems or operational structures to where a potential buyer, whoever they may be outside or inside, can now step into that epicenter and run the business. So whether it's an ESOP, whether it's a phantom stock, a treasury stock, a hard equity, a merge buyout, a, a self-canceling installment note, whatever it may be, you have to design it for the success of the buyer, not for the success of the seller. Okay. That's the key. So there's lots of different strategies and there's been books upon books upon books written about it. It ultimately goes back to where do you want to be and how big is the gap we have to cover? How big do we have the infrastructure we have to build? Do you have the team in place? Do you not have the team in place? At the end of the day, we're all trying to get, get move this asset that's a highly illiquid asset to one of the liquidity so we can reach our goals. Yeah. 
Well, that that gives us a lot of information and a lot of a lot of uh, information to think about. It, it gives us some direction. So I appreciate that. I have I have one last question before we wrap things up. Uh, before I ask you the question that I ask everybody, but but I have many 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 a big majority, probably a majority of our um, listenership are sole practitioners, mm, one okay. man one woman show, um, and they're listening to us and say, well, well I don't have employees. And mm-hmm. I don't really know how to, you know, uh, even consider what we're talking about here in terms of, you know, getting to the end and having some sort of value in my one man show. So what do you talk? What, what do you say to those people? Learn tax code, <laughs> hire an expert tax planner, an expert tax advisor on the financial planning side. If you plan your business outright, and I can tell you this is not uncommon, we have solopreneurs is what I call them, okay? I used to be one, so I dealt with this. I I speak the language, and we work with literally dozens of solopreneurs. You can control everything, and chances are you're not going to have a business that somebody's going to sell. That's the reality of the situation. So you have what's called a lifestyle business. And as a lifestyle business, what you can control is your time. But what robs us of our time are distractions, the internal revenue service, the insurance world, and the interest world. Those three, four things. So we can control our time due to good management. The internal revenue service, if you utilize it right, you can make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and not send the majority of money out to the IRS if you did it right. But it's all going to come back to your personal desires, your personal lifestyle. What's sad to me Mark, many times is this, is we have the family-style business who they make $100,000 of gross revenue, they spend $100,000 of gross revenue either through the business or their personal lifestyle, and they're broke. And unless that pattern is changed through some professional help, because remember the definition of insanity, right? Do the same thing over and over again. So we've got to change the, we've got to change our paradigm. If you're in the solopreneur, if you say just a man, that's not me, I'm not broke. I'm actually doing quite well. Great. I want to give you a fist bump through the system right now. If I could, but you can drastically improve your chances of success due to some great tax planning in your state and in our federal system. Remember, the Internal Revenue Code is about five inches thick if you use the abridged version, and only about 15 pages there tell us what we have to pay. The rest of us tells us what not, how we don't have to pay things. And so if we can learn the code for our advantage as solopreneurs and couple that with a great, awesome financial plan, then you can rock it out and reach your goals. That's great advice. <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of people just exhaled and said, oh, well, there is a way that we can make this work out for us. So thank you, Justin. I appreciate that. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody on the show. What is one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? This one might be very easy for the conversation that we had, uh, but what is this your suggestion for somebody to do? start right now? It's not an easy thing to do, but it's the one most vital thing that we all have to do in business, and that's called systematization. We want to systematize everything we can. So think about this. Um, the McDonald's brothers knew how to make a heck of a hamburger, but I dare say that I can outcook McDonald's hamburgers today. I mean, my hamburger can make your tongue beat your brains out. They're so good. I mean, they are mouthwatering good. On the other hand, I'm not Ray Kroc who's at home making millions of dollars a second, <laughs> literally probably, by having 16-year-olds learn how to cook french fries without burning the restaurant down, Right. Even in a solopreneur business or a multi-size architectural firm, you can systematize things that free up your time. And in freeing up your time, 
you can become more efficient either with your time or with your resources. So there's not a business out there that can't create systems which help us to improve productivity, profitability, and ultimately transferability, right? So that'd be the one thing I'd say is focus on your systems. Right. Those systems all have, have value. They, they add to the asset that you have as a business. His name is Justin Goodbread. Financiallysimple.com is the website. You can go there and find all sorts of information. Uh, you can connect with Justin there. Justin, you have a bunch of things going on at Financially System, uh, Simple. Do you want to uh, talk about that a little bit? Sure. So Financial Simple is our hub. We also have a podcast where we, um, we've we dealt with three years of teaching and now we're dealing with a couple of different segments from professionals and business owners around the around the country and around the world. Um, you can connect with us on social media. We have books that are on Amazon. There are courses. If you need help on strategic planning, we have courses on our strategic planning sites. There's so much out there that we've done. I go back to my fear. My fear is I'm going to take what God's given me as my talents and my abilities and hit the graveyard one day and not left it on the field. And so we have a team here that's dedicated to taking what we learn as an organization and putting it out there to help business owners not be that statistic, right? It doesn't matter if you're a solopreneur or, or a multi-level business. It doesn't matter. We can change the paradigm for ourselves and our future generations. So that's that's the message, brother. Justin, this, is, this has been a great conversation. Thank you for the inspiration, the motivation, and the information. Uh, thanks for being here at Entree Architect Podcast. Brother, thanks for having me. Look forward to seeing seeing what, what you guys are going to be doing in your business as well. You've been listening to episode 337 with Justin Goodbread. That was a good one. Put that one in the archive. That's something that uh, you will be able to reference when you need it. Uh, maybe you need it now, so you're welcome. <laughs> Don't forget to check all the resources at entrearchitect.com. That's where we have everything that you might need. We have a, a membership, a mastermind groups. We have a free Facebook group. If you're interested in joining the membership, it's free for 30 days. EntreeArchitect.com slash join. It's easy to remember. EntreeArchitect.com slash join. Uh, join our powerful mastermind groups, the Entree Architect Mastermind. Those are professional peer groups. EntreeArchitect.com slash mastermind. And you can join on uh, over at, at the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. Tons of engagement, lots of fun. If you have a question for anything, post it over there. If you're an architect, architecture student, if you've been trained as an architect, you are welcome to join us. EntreeArchitect.com slash group to request membership over there. That's a private Facebook group. So if you're interested in joining us over there, it's uh, 6,000 members over there. It's a great group. If you have anything that uh, you need help with, with a better business, we have it for you over at Entree Architect. The podcast, this podcast, the Entree Architect podcast, is a proud member of the Gable Media Network, gablmedia.com. Subscribe to this and all the Gable Media podcasts at gablemedia.com. We have some really super interesting shows. We have a playlist for you. Just go over there and subscribe to every single one of them. Six episodes, six podcasts right now. We have two in development, so watch for what's coming. You're going to like what's coming. You're going to like what's coming. I'm really excited about it. Go subscribe to this show, Entree Architect Podcast. Build Your Brand Podcast. We're wrapping up the first season of Build Your Brand Podcast. Go listen to the entire 12 episodes from beginning to end. That is a masterclass on branding from Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand. Spaces Podcast, Demetrius's, Demetrius Lynch's podcast, Spaces Podcast, Arca Speak Podcast, uh, Cormac and Evan 
Practice Disrupted. I love Practice Disrupted and the conversations they're having. They're talking about how do we remain relevant into the future as architects. Evelyn Lee and Janine Chastain at Practice Disrupted and Evan Troxel's podcast, Troxel. Troxel. Deep diving deep into technology and the future of architecture at Troxel. Super interesting conversations. Do not miss these six podcasts. Go subscribe, make them your weekly playlist, and you will be very happy that you did. We have episodes, new episodes every week over there. New shows in development. Pay attention. They're coming. You're going to like them. Go right now. Go check them out. Go subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G A B L media.com. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, be happy, safe, and secure. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening this week. Have a great one. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts 
into what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.